I came up with the vaccine. They said it would take three to five years. Going to save the world. I recommend you take it, but I also believe in your freedoms 100%. Yeah, your freedoms to die. To see another 600,000 dead. Go freedoms. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFC, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Coming up shortly, uh, with all of these so-called post-election audits that Donald Trump supporters are pushing around the country, despite zero evidence of fraud or even mistallies, Much less coverage is going to legitimate uh, concerns about races in which recounts really should have been carried out. One of them was right here in California, right here in L.A. County, as a matter of fact, last November, where a ballot initiative in uh, an L.A. County city passed by just 16 votes out of some 100,000 ballots cast after a local citizen-led group Uh, who opposed this particular initiative, requested a recount to make sure that the results were accurate, as tallied on the county's brand new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems used for the very first time last year amid a pandemic. Well, that group received a stunning surprise. The expected cost for the count charged to them, according to the L.A. County Handbook, was to be about $50,000. But due to the new Voting center systems that were deployed last year, along with these touchscreens in Los Angeles, uh, at these voting centers where anyone can vote in such a center, the group was told that because of that, because of this new system, they would need to cough up some $200,000 to find out if that 16-vote margin was actually correct. They decided to sue the county instead of paying them $200,000 
Uh, and the leader of the grassroots coalition uh, who was behind all of this will join us momentarily. So that's coming up. You don't want to miss that. Uh, and that's true whether you live in L.A. or anywhere else in the country, because these voting centers are becoming a thing where you can vote at any voting center you want. You don't have to go to your, your same precinct specifically. But it comes with a whole bunch of problems, as we will talk about shortly. Also, a quick thanks to Nicole Sandler, our friend uh, from The Nicole Sandler Show, for jumping in to fill in for us late last week in the wake of my computer disaster, which I was forced to spend uh, pretty much the entire last week and all of this weekend dealing with. I'm hoping that it is mostly ironed out now, but my apologies to those folks who sent very kind birthday wishes and donations and so forth last week that I could not reply with a thanks for, uh, at least not right away. I'm trying to get caught up as quickly as I can on that. Uh, but in more noteworthy news today, you know, it was it was one thing to report these stories early in the pandemic when even Trump supporters might have been able to argue, well, we don't know that much about the virus and therefore there was no reason to wear a mask, etc., uh, you know, when those folks would go onto Facebook railing about the coronavirus all being a big hoax to prevent Donald Trump's reelection, you know, before they then contracted the disease and died. Well, it was sad back then. Now to still be denying all of these months and hundreds of thousands of dead bodies later uh, when there are known, proven, effective vaccines that damn near guarantee you will not be killed by COVID. Well, now it's just heartbreaking, unspeakably tragic uh, and frankly obscene. And yet amid the uh, current surge in COVID-19 cases in Missouri, my old home state, a recent Facebook conversation between two Republican state lawmakers was very telling, according to ProPublica. Around Independence Day, State Congressman, uh, State Rep Bill Kidd from the Kansas City suburbs revealed that he had been infected by the coronavirus. Quote, and no, we didn't get the vaccine, he wrote in a post that has, for some reason, since been deleted, adding, we're Republicans. State Rep. Brian Seitz, a Republican from Taney County, home to the tourist destination of Branson, which is one of the worst hotspots in the nation right now, commented on the post by falsely claiming that the virus had been developed by top government scientist Anthony Fauci and billionaire Microsoft founder Bill Gates. They, quote, knew what was coming, Seitz wrote. This was in July. This was this month. The jury is still out on the vaccine. Who knows what's in that, he wrote. Well, as the number of coronavirus infections rise again around the country, lawmakers like Kidd and Seitz have adopted responses that trouble many health officials, as they should. In Tennessee, Republicans, uh, Republican legislators threatened to shut down the state health department, saying it was targeting minors for mass vaccination without the consent of parents. As of this weekend, I'm happy to say they have now begun restoring their vaccine outreach programs that they had scaled back just a week or two ago. In Ohio, lawmakers allowed a doctor to testify at a legislative hearing just last month that coronav uh, coronavirus vaccines could leave people magnetized. They can't. During a hearing in the Montana Senate, a senator said he had read articles about, quote, putting a chip in the vaccine. There are no chips in the vaccines. 
all of this recently, just as with his false insistence that he won the election, former President, currently disgraced, Donald Trump's attitudes about COVID-19 hold great sway with his supporters. Those supporters now tend to oppose efforts to get everyone vaccinated. Attitudes like that are accelerating an anti-vaccine sentiment that has run strong in states like Missouri and in the Missouri State Legislature for years now, particularly with lawmakers from the area of Missouri now facing increased infection rates. Last Sunday, Springfield, Missouri Mayor Ken McClure told CBS, uh, CBS's Face the Nation that his community was, quote, being hurt by rampant vaccine misinformation. Taney County is near the heart of the surge of the Delta variant, which health officials say spreads more easily than earlier versions of the virus. Despite the spike, just 28 percent of Taney County's residents were fully vaccinated by last week. Twenty eight percent. That's even earlier than uh, even lower than uh, below the state average of 40 percent. State Rep Seitz, who once owned a newspaper and promoted Branson's entertainment industry, which, by the way, is great. I love Branson. I love Silver Dollar City. Uh, I love Shepherd of the Hills. I love everything about Branson, even though it's very right-wingy. I still love it. I still do not want to see people die there. Anyway, Seitz boasted in an interview that the Ozark tourist town was doing gangbuster business after a year of mostly being shut down. He said there were 27,000 people at our July 3 celebration, noting that he attended along with U.S. Congressman Billy Long, who said, uh, quote, I'm so glad to see there are very few chin diapers in the crowd, referring to masks. We're so happy not to be forced by government to either wear a mask or take a vaccine, Seitz added. Seitz falsely claimed that COVID vaccines have not been tested and that they are unsafe. He backed down on his comment about Fauci on Kidd's Facebook post, acknowledging that the uh, virology expert did not create the coronavirus after all. But he said that he had been engaged for years in experiments to make the virus more dangerous. Kidd, the Republican from Kansas City, uh, who contracted the disease and joked about not having gotten vaccinated because we're Republicans, he posted almost two weeks after his initial Facebook post that he was now seeking prayers because he was, quote, having a difficult time with COVID and, quote, really, really sick. Kid posted again on Thursday saying that he was doing better after the virus, quote, kicked my butt. But Kid, uh, Kid may be one of the lucky ones. Mia and Brad Vinard were together for 12 years. They were married for nine. They were Trump supporters, according to KCRA TV in Sacramento. He is a Trump supporter no more because now he is dead. Because according to Mia, they, quote, weren't sure about getting the COVID-19 vaccine until it was too late. Brad's obituary will say that he died of COVID-19 complications. In fact, he died from vaccine hesitancy. In fact, he died from vaccine denialism. Brad tested positive for COVID-19 at the end of June. He died after spending two weeks battling the virus in an intensive care unit. As reported by KCRA, Mia 
his wife, said, quote, it all happened so fast. I wish we would have gotten vaccinated. I mean, one simple shot could have prevented all of this, she said. Mia, Mia said that she and Brad just, quote, weren't ready for the vaccine. We weren't vaccinated. We wanted to wait and see how people reacted to it. Well, here's how people reacted to it. To date, some 3.7 billion shots have been administered worldwide. That is a pretty good sample to go by, notes Daily Coast commentator I Am America. It has become evident that COVID-19 is far more dangerous than the vaccine. After starting to get sick in, uh, at the end of June, Brad struggled at home for a couple days, tested his oxygen levels with a home oxygen meter, and that's when he realized his condition was worsening. Shortly thereafter, he was in the hospital. Soon after that, he was dead. Mia, who also tested positive for COVID just a few days after Brad, did not have to spend time in the hospital, luckily. She did, however, experience severe headaches, fever, vomiting, loss of smell, and taste. She described her bout with the virus as, quote, never having been sick, that sick before, adding it is nothing like the flu. When people say that, it was nothing like the flu. As of late last week, COVID cases, thanks to the Delta variant, were up some 55 percent across the nation. Some 97 percent of those hospitalized now are unvaccinated. Some 99 percent of those who are dying from the disease are unvaccinated as well. The family of right-wing radio host Phil Valentine reports that he has now been hospitalized from the novel coronavirus and is, quote, in very serious condition. That, according to Tennessee's WKRN-TV, he's being treated for COVID pneumonia in the critical care unit of a Nashville hospital, according to his family. On July 11th, Valentine revealed that he had tested positive. He wrote on Facebook as if it was over. Yes, the rumors are true. I have COVID. Unfortunately for the haters out there, it looks like I'm going to make it. Interesting experience, he wrote. WKRN noted that Valentine had had been critical of the vaccine, voicing his concerns over safety. And after nearly recovering, uh, Valentine's health then began a sudden and rapid descent. His family persuaded the 62-year-old to check into the emergency room at that point. Medical scans showed that the coronavirus had infected uh, his lung, caused pneumonia in his right lung. Not long after Phil Valentine was admitted to the hospital, the Tennessean reported he and his family began thinking differently about the vaccine. He said, I changed my mind. I'm sorry, he didn't say that. His brother, Mark Valentine, told The Washington Post, I changed my mind as soon as I saw what was happening here. I immediately went and got the vaccine. He said his brother's thinking has also changed. That's good. If Phil were able to conduct this interview, he would tell you while he has never been an anti-vax person, he has always been a pro-choice person, at least on vaccines. His brother told The Post what he regrets is not being more vehemently pro-vaccine, pro-vaccine. And when he gets back on the air, said Mark, that's exactly what he is going to tell people. For days after initially contracting the uh, uh, novel, the novel coronavirus, Valentine believed his body would beat back the worsening infection with the help of vitamin D supplements and ivermectin, 
which is typically used to treat parasitic worms and lice and skin conditions that the FDA has not approved for the treatment of COVID-19. The radio show host said on Facebook on July 14, doing my patriotic duty for natural herd immunity. That was when he started to feel better days after he fell ill. But when breathing became difficult enough to send him to the hospital, he and his family realized how dangerous the virus, in fact, could be. Doctors had him shift from his back to his stomach to stop fluid from pooling in his lungs. During the day, doctors put him on high-flow oxygen therapy. At night, he breathed with the help of a BiPAP machine, which is a type of ventilator that does not require being intubated. After sharing the story of his brother's horrible ordeal in the hospital, Mark Valentine told the Post that dozens of dozens of his listeners on WTNFM in Tennessee began writing to the family to say that they, too, have decided to get vaccinated. His brother, Mark, said it's overwhelming and heartbreaking. We, of course, uh, wish Valentine the best and hope that once he returns to the air, if he returns to the air, that he can talk to his listeners about what he has learned and perhaps save some lives in the bargain instead of helping to kill people by making this a joke or by reporting misinformation or by telling people that you'll be fine with some vitamin D supplements. Just look after your immune system. In Tennessee, where Phil Valentine lives, the state recently reported that 97 percent of those hospitalized COVID patients had not been vaccinated. Next door in Arkansas, 98 percent of those in the hospital had not received any of the three vaccines which are available in the U.S., readily available in the U.S., but it is not just in so-called red states as listeners to this show may have learned last week when we opened up the phones to those in our Southern California listening area here who had not been vaccinated so they could explain why. Each of those explanations, uh, some I had to look up after I got off the air, each and every single one of them had been debunked largely long ago. But these listeners still, for whatever reason, uh, believed they believed this misinformation, despite the independently verifiable peer-reviewed science that proves otherwise. Unfortunately, because they have been misinformed, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's among their families, whether it's listening to whatever radio station you are listening to now, they have been misinformed and it is costing lives. Yes, here in California as well. As a matter of fact, it is costing young lives. A California man who publicly opposed COVID-19 vaccines died from the coronavirus last week. According to a tweet posted Thursday by Brian Houston, a pastor at the Hillsong Church in Los Angeles, Stephen Harmon died at the Corona Regional Medical Center. Stephen Harmon was 34 years old. In his last tweet from his now-protected Twitter account, Harmon asked his followers to, quote, please pray for him shortly before he was intubated. He said, I found this thing as hard as I fought this thing as hard as I can, but unfortunately it's reached a point of critical choice. Don't know when I'll wake up. Please pray, he wrote. He did not wake up. Six weeks ago, Harmon was at the forefront of the so-called vaccine hesitancy movement on social media. In one Twitter post, he wrote, quote, I got 99 problems, but a vax ain't one. 
In another, Harmon mocked President Biden's efforts to distribute COVID-19 vaccines into vulnerable communities. Dr. Oren Friedman, no relation, who treats COVID patients at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center here in L.A., told KCBS that Harmon's death is, quote, unbelievably demoralizing. With numbers at his hospital increasing tenfold, Friedman said, virtually every single person is sick enough, sick enough to be admitted, is an unvaccinated person, he said. I can tell you that for the respiratory therapists and nurses and doctors that are having to go into rooms and take care of patients who are this sick at this stage, and to know that it is preventable if people had simply taken the vaccine, he said it's an awful feeling of post-traumatic stress disorder and frustration, he told the station. Yeah, it's... Uh... If I can just add to this, this to me sounds like a case of risk management. Uh, the 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 side effects that you might get from the vaccine, you know, some people have no side effects at all. Some people say that they feel sick for a little while, that they're of short duration. I felt sick. I felt sick for about I don't know twenty four to forty eight hours, and then it stopped. And then it stopped. I got better, and I said at the time, and I said it on air that if this is anything like what it feels like to have COVID. It, it, the, the chills, the fever that I experienced for 12 or 24 hours, if that was any hint of what it was like to have the actual disease and not know that you were going to get over it in 12 or 24 hours, I, I can't imagine not taking a vaccine when it is available now to anyone who wants it to avoid that, to avoid feeling that for days, for weeks, for perhaps months. for the rest of your life. Yes. So, again, it's it's risk management. So you have short duration, potentially short duration uh, if you get the vaccine. But if you don't get the vaccine, COVID is a huge risk for you and anyone in your family and anyone that you come into contact with. You can spread it to other people who may have vulnerable family members who can't take the vaccine, who can't be protected. So again, you know, you will be safer. Your family will be safer. Anyone you come into contact with will be safer. And anyone in their families that they come into contact with will also be safer. It's risk management. And though Desi Doyen isn't saying it, she has uh, lost family members to exactly that. Yes. COVID-19 numbers are continuing to increase. Yes, here in California, it's not just those southern states. It's not just those states that support Trump. It's increasing uh, in California. It's increasing across the U.S. because of the highly transmissible Delta variant, which is now the most common strain in the country, according to the CDC. On Friday, the California Department of Health reported nearly 8,000 new cases from the day prior. The state's seven-day testing positivity rate jumped to more than 5%. That was up from less than 1% just a few weeks ago. Just a few weeks ago, less than 1% of the people who got tested for COVID were found to actually have it. Now that is up to 5%. That, as some 610,000 people nationwide in the U.S. have died from COVID-19 since the pandemic began, just about 49% of the country is fully vaccinated. So I don't know if these stories may help anyone out there, uh, but frankly, if they somehow, if they somehow help to keep one person, one person who hears these stories and says, you know what, maybe I should get that vaccine. Maybe now is the time. Maybe I was worried about it early on. We didn't know a lot about it, but now that 3.7 billion people 
have taken the vaccine and they're okay. And maybe that's evidence that the virus is worse than the vaccine. Maybe I'll go ahead and take it. If just these stories, if they help one person who is listening or one person who is listening and speaks to someone else who hasn't taken the vaccine and helps them know that it is okay, and yes, please take it, well, then I feel that I would have done my job well here, frankly. So if you haven't been vaccinated, I will um, I would I, I, I would ask you to do so immediately. If you have been vaccinated, I hope that you will help someone else who has not to become vaccinated. Yes, speaking up can save people's lives right now. And I know you've heard a bunch of these stories. We've been telling them since the beginning of this pandemic. We're telling them, sadly, more and more again right now. I know you've heard, but you know what? I got a microphone. Uh, I got the public airwaves. I feel that it's my job uh, to encourage people, to help educate people, to help inform people, to help them stay alive. So, yeah, I got to keep doing it. I've got more. But for now, we'll hold some of that more for uh, for tomorrow's show and probably tomorrow's and probably tomorrow after that. Since I, I, I'm afraid, but uh, I have a guest standing by that I need to get to. Suffice to say. This is now not getting better. This is now getting worse again, and it is heartbreaking because it is completely unnecessary at this point. It's it's you know, I do hope that those who believe they have good reason to not get the shots are listening closely uh, to some of these reports. Because, by the way, in the wake of the wildly spiking and deadly variant, uh, Delta variant at this point, uh, vaccine mandates of a sort are now, in fact, coming. On Monday alone, New York City announced it will soon require city workers to be vaccinated by mid-September or they will face weekly testing. In California here, uh, we will soon require proof of COVID-19 vaccination or weekly testing for all state workers and health care employees. The Federal Department of Veterans Affairs today announced that their health care workers must now be vaccinated as the first federal agency to implement such a mandate for employees. Do yourself a favor. Do your loved ones a favor. Get vaccinated. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, never easy to uh, lurch to a new topic after that. Uh, but we're sort of uh, still in California on this topic. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be, we'll be back to uh, to back to the fight of election integrity. Frankly, the only way that we can ensure that we get elected officials who don't put their constituents in danger in exchange for idiocy uh, and political power. Ian Patton of the Long Beach Reform Coalition joins us next on his group's fight to make sure that their election results with a 16-vote margin out of 100,000 votes cast last November in a ballot initiative to make sure that those are actually accurate in a California county, specifically here in Los Angeles County. The county now wants to charge them $200,000 just to find out. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I have reported at the Brad blog and on this program now for many years on the ridiculous laws that California has regarding post-election recounts of election results. Now, in one sense, we have some of the best laws in the nation uh, in that any elector, that is any voter, can request a recount of any race that he or she may like in any uh, precinct that he or she may like, precinct or precincts as long as the requester is willing to pay for the cost of the count by county officials as overseen by the requester. If it turns out that a hand uh, hand recount of the ballots changed the results of the election and the candidate declared the winner ends up losing or the results of a ballot initiative end up changing, well, the recount requester is then refunded that money. The state of California's liberal recount rules are actually very good on that score, at least in principle. Where it begins to get a bit hinky, as I've been reporting now for years, is that there is no state standard for the cost of those recounts. County registrars can and do pretty much charge anything they would they like for any reason whatsoever for these recounts. While they're only supposed to uh, only charge for the very real costs of the count to you know, cover the costs of county employees, for example, who are required to uh, you know, dedicate hours to the effort, depending on how many ballots the requester chooses to have hand counted, election officials across the state have historically been a bit arbitrary and arguably capricious in how they calculate the cost of these counts that they charge to the requesters. Way back in 2013, for example, I covered an attempted statewide recount of a statewide ballot initiative, Prop 37. It was a referendum calling for the labeling of genetically modified foods, GMO foods. The referendum was opposed here in the state by the very powerful and very wealthy agriculture industry here in California, and the referendum failed. And the less well-funded citizen-led supporters of the initiative sought to have a recount. They had to go county to county to county to do it. As I reported at the time at uh, in Bradblog.com's special coverage, quote, the group counted ballots from a sampling of precincts in Orange County, the third largest in the state, over three days in December. The cost was $5,400 total. That was a $3,600 setup fee and then $600 per day for counting ballots thereafter. In Sierra County, the second smallest in the state, They were able to oversee a hand count of every single ballot in the county, all 1,822 of them, in about four hours. The entire cost for the count there was just $500. 
But by the time the requesters got to Fresno County, where the ag industry is particularly powerful, the local election clerk there required $18,000 just to begin collecting ballots for the count. That at a cost of $46 an hour for each county employee who would work on collecting the ballots in question. A three-member executive staff was also required, according to the county clerk there. That at the cost of $92 an hour in both salaries and benefits for each of them for an estimated seven hour, uh, several seven-hour-long days. Thereafter, the citizen-led requesters would be charged more than $4,000 per day, payable each day. That, as compared to $600 a day for a hand count in Orange County, $500 a day for the same in Sierra County. At the time, uh, the man leading up the count told me that, uh, quote, based upon the numbers provided by the Fresno Registrar of Voters, the hand count would have cost nearly $38,000 by the end of the first week, $58,000 by the end of the second week, $78,000 by the end of the week uh, of the third week. In all, it was enough to stop the count dead in its tracks. And the citizens concerned about the results were never able to find out if Prop 37 actually failed or not that year. They did not have that kind of money. And that was just for one county. We've got what, 58, I think, here in California. By 2013, uh, that sort of thing was no surprise, at least to me at Bradblog.com. I had previously reported on an attempted recount of a disputed U.S. House, a congressional special election in San Diego a few years earlier. At the time, in 2006, the San Diego County Registrar of Voters estimated that the cost of the hand count uh, would be anywhere from $120,000 to $150,000 to count one special election in one district in San Diego. Using the registrar's unitemized numbers that he was trying to charge at the time to the requester, I reported in great detail, the cost of counting in San Diego amounted to approximately $1 per ballot to hand count it. At the same time, at the same exact time in neighboring Orange County, a hand count that had taken place not long before the San Diego race had cost the challengers just 14 cents per ballot, per vote. While my reports on all of this at the time were picked up by CNN and Court TV and even a right-wing San Diego radio host who used to fill in for Rush Limbaugh way back then, the laws in California were never changed to standardize the costs for election recounts or even to require counties to post any of these charges before elections. Thus, county registrars can pretty much make up whatever recount cost they want after a count has been requested. And while it's nice that there is at least an option for voters to get recounts in the state, the costs can be obviously prohibitive at the whim of registrars. One of which, for example, charged a losing mayoral candidate in Stanislaus County in a very close race a few years ago, $20 per ballot to count, forcing that candidate to withdraw her request after a day or so of counting. Who can afford that? The first statewide recount of a ballot initiative, Prop 29, regarding a tobacco tax, lasted nearly three months, involved almost 60 days of hand, hand recounts, according to the wealthy activist who sought the count. 
He found that he was charged 29 cents, 29 cents per ballot in Orange County, $2.24 per ballot in L.A. County, and a whopping $3.86 in Sacramento, all to count the ballots in the same ballot initiative. That, while California has no automatic recount laws, no matter how close a race may be, which brings us to what happened in Long Beach, California, last November. That's L.A. County. A local ballot initiative there in Long Beach, Measure A, would have extended a 10.25% city sales tax indefinitely. The tax was originally adopted by voters back in 2016, I believe, and Measure A, to extend it indefinitely, reportedly passed last November by the voters by just 16 votes out of nearly 100,000 votes cast. Despite the incredibly close results, The L.A. County's brand new first time uh, use, uh, 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems uh, in the middle of a pandemic with tons of mail in votes. Despite all of that, there there was no requirement for a recount to assure that the results were accurate and that the measure was actually adopted by voters, even though the margin was 16 votes out of 100,000. So it fell to a citizen-led group calling itself the Long Beach Reform Coalition to request and to pay for a hand count of those 100,000 votes. But due to L.A. County's new voting systems, which I spent many months and years warning about on this show and at bradblog.com, recount is no longer simple if arbitrarily, arbitrarily priced exercised. With these expensive new touchscreens in the nation's most populous county, with some four million voters for the first time, uh, the county created these so-called voting centers that they allow any county voter to vote at any voting center. But I've also warned in the past that those voting centers, while convenient for voters, make it nearly impossible for election integrity advocates and citizens oversight groups to oversee the voting and the counting process to assure that the number of ballots cast in each precinct actually reflects the number of voters who voted in each. Moreover, as the Long Beach Reform Coalition learned, it also skyrocketed the cost of recounts since, as the coalition was informed, instead of the $50,000 that they had raised based on the county's handbook before the election— As to how much a recount might cost, they subsequently learned that they would have to pay more than $200,000, according to L.A. County Registrar Recorder County Clerk Dean Logan. He's the brainchild of the new touchscreens and the voting centers. Why would he have to pay this much? Well, the group decided that they could not afford those prohibitive costs, and so they called off their recount, and they're now suing the county instead. Why did it skyrocket? Why did the cost skyrocket like that with the use of the voting centers? Well, for answers on that question and many others that I have, we will turn to Ian Patton, co-founder and executive director of the Grassroots Network Long Beach Reform Coalition. Ian is a longtime political consultant. He's a former congressional staffer, but his work in Long Beach is as a volunteer. He's helping to lead the reform movement, opposing what he describes as the big money city hall machine corrupting municipal government governance in Long Beach, where he is now suing L.A. County over this matter. Mr. Patton, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Uh, hi, Brad. Uh, glad to join you. So do I have these numbers uh, correct? The uh, Measure A passed by 16 votes out of 100,000 votes cast, and there was no automatic recount, even in a race that incredibly close? 
That's right. That was the certified total. Even though we were, our no side was leading the count on every single day of the count Mm -hmm. from election night all the way through most of um, April 2020, uh, the no side was winning every update to the count except for the very last day when it flipped and the final certified result was yes winning by 16 votes out of 100 about 100,000. Now there's no and 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 maybe that was the uh, correct result we don't know but there's no automatic recount law in California but uh, Ian Patton county registrars are allowed to hold their own recounts as I understand it if they so choose did you ask uh, LA County Clerk Dean Logan uh, to, to hold a recount here? On his own well, dime? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, we definitely did because, believe me, we are not a group that can just uh, pull a lever and come up with $50,000 or more um, for something like this, especially with such a, a short amount of time. Uh, but you, you really only get a, about a week or so after the uh, vote is certified mm-hmm. to make your recount request. Yeah. So we are first request to the uh, the registrar, Dean Logan, was on his own authority to do a recount, which he has the power to do, and we innocently assumed, of course, he would do that at 16 votes. And right. As we later found out, he, he had no interest in doing that whatsoever, and I don't think he was ever going to entertain that. So what changed? What changed to increase the cost? You thought it would be $50,000, I guess, based on numbers that were in the, uh, the the county clerk's handbook. What changed to go from 50000 to 200000 or as I calculated, it was about $2 a ballot versus, you know, just $0.14 cents per ballot in, in Orange County next door? What happened? Why did the voting centers change all of this? Well, there was such a comedy of errors uh, in this whole process on the part of the county, uh, which is, I guess, the, the largest municipal bureaucracy in this country and is just abysmal in, ev- in every way. And we certainly experienced that because this, this uh, manual that they published for recounts and have published every election cycle was completely erroneous. But they didn't tell us that. They waited till literally uh, less than 24 hours before mm-hmm. our recount was to begin to explain to us that the cost would be much higher than published. And the reason, not as they originally sort of strung us along to believe, oh, it's COVID, we have to you know, rejigger things a little bit, recalculate, and we'll get you the final number. Well, the final number turned out to be an order, to, an, an order of magnitude larger. And the reason was the new voting system, that they were, had just implemented for the first time, mm-hmm. VSAP, Voting Solutions for All People, the new, that's supposed to be space-age, digital, mm-hmm. interface, fancy technological voting system. But that voting system had one fatal flaw. Well, actually had several fatal flaws. Yes, it does, but um, yeah. But, but from our perspective, they did not sort the ballots. And so the ballots being unsorted, the county registrar, I, I think this was very intentional on his part. I mean, he chose to make that part of the cost of the recount and to charge us for his fancy new system. While it takes uh, 16 county workers, they estimated 16 days to go through all over 2 million LA county ballots mm-hmm. to physically sift out the Long Beach ballots one by one. You know, literally, this, this system built in Space Age, but it's a Stone Age process. 
to get these ballots so that we could do a recount. And this is because of the voting centers, uh, essentially, because voters can vote anywhere in the county. And by the way, it takes, even if there's no traffic, it takes almost an hour to drive from one side of the county to another. It's a huge county. You can vote anywhere at any voting center in L.A. County. That's very convenient. But when you say uh, you're going to be responsible for sorting the ballots, what we're talking about is... Because you can vote anywhere, they count those votes anywhere, the computers sort of mesh all the numbers together, but the actual physical ballots that you would need to count are all over the place because they were cast at all of these various voting centers. They essentially have to go through millions of ballots to find the ones where there were votes for Measure A in Long Beach. Do I understand that correctly? Yes, that's right. And I think it's important that people understand the way the ballots are are counted by default with this new system. And I personally observed this. I went to, we, there was a congressional special election after our election, and I went to, uh, to, to watch the process. Mm-hmm. The ballots, as they're received before the election and then on election day, they all get brought to a central facility in Downey. And there's this huge room underground mm-hmm. that has all these huge industrial-sized scanning machines. And the ballots get run through the scanning machines, and they say individual PDF images of each ballot. Mm-hmm. The, the image gets saved on the machine, and then the machine itself has software to tally digitally the ballots. Mm-hmm. And it stores that subtotal on itself until they say, after the election, they basically connect them all together, mm-hmm. and there's a central computer in a room, a locked room, that nobody has access to in the public, the media, and that computer processes the final result. So that's the default way to get uh, uh, your numbers, Mm -hmm. and it's the least transparent way possible. It's impossible to oversee it. It's impossible to oversee it, and if you want to oversee it after the election, well, you have these, uh, what I would call arbitrary, if they're not arbitrary and capricious, they're certainly... Uh, not the job of the citizens to have to pay for the county's failure to sort ballots, to have a system where ballots are sorted because under uh, uh, state law, I guess, uh, ballots need to be counted by precinct. So all of these ballots need to be counted by precinct, even though they may be in big stacks that are not by precinct, but they are by Voting center. Now, Ian uh, Patton, I have to say, you're, I know you're suing the county now because rather than come up with $200,000 to find out whether this measure actually passed or didn't, uh, Dean Logan's attorney, he used to come on this program a lot. He pretty much has stopped talking to me altogether now uh, once it became clear that I was very critical of his VSAP touchscreen systems and his voting center model. But according to the Press-Telegram, uh, Logan's attorneys argue that his office's duty is to ensure that the requesters, not the public, pay for these recounts, and that extends to all of the labor associated with the process. The registrar's ministerial duty thus compels him to estimate and charge the petitioners for all costs, according to their uh, uh, court filing here, including the retrieval and organization of ballots into precincts, which costs would not have been incurred but for the recount. The attorneys say so they're saying, hey, uh, that's what it's going to cost the county to carry out this count. And therefore, whether requesters like it or not, you should pay for it, not the county's taxpayers. Uh, Why is he wrong, Ian? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, he chose to develop a system that did not pre-sort the ballots. 
That was his choice. It was not mandated by any law. We did, as a state, go to this vote center model because of the Voters' Choice Act. But the Voters' Choice Act left, left it up to the individual counties to decide how to imp, imp, implement it and what systems that they chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of L.A. County, Dean Logan chose to develop his own system. So it was custom-tailored to exactly his, uh, what he wanted. And he intentionally chose not to have ballot sorting. In the past, there was a mechanism and a procedure to sort the ballots by precinct as they were received by mail, the ballots that came from polling places, were, they were sorted by precinct by default. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy to just pull the ballots that were already sorted to start a recount after yep. the election. It was Dean Logan who chose to create this in, enormous, unsorted mass of ballots that then if you ever wanted to challenge his result, you would have to pay a fortune to, to sort it, according to yeah. his, uh, his reading of this. The other, the other reason why he's wrong, and this is a legal point that will be decided in our case, is whether or not you have to still do the 1% audit by precinct. So if people don't know, the 1% audit is something that all county registrars have to do automatically after the election. It's sort of a, a verification of the result, mm-hmm. but it's just 1%. It has to be done by hand. And the law was actually amended to make it so that they didn't have to do the, I believe, the, the uh, polling place ballots, the mm-hmm. vote center ballots, by precinct anymore for the 1%. But the law still says that the vote-by-mail ballots have to be done, the 1% has to be done by precinct, not by batch, which mm-hmm. is just another way of saying an unmixed box of ballots. Right. Uh, so they're, they're contending, well, yeah, it says that in the law, but the law doesn't make any sense. Clearly the legislature wanted to make it so we could do whatever we want, and we're arguing that the <laughs> law says what it says. So, that's one of the things that a judge will have to sort out. So they didn't sort it for the 1% uh, uh, audit, which they are supposed to do by precinct, and now and they just well, they, skipped that law. Right, so they, yeah, They're claiming that they, they didn't have to sort that by precinct, and, and you're right, they did not. Now, the Long Beach uh, Press-Telegram says that this case could actually uh, determine the future of L.A. County election recounts. Uh, I would argue that this case may determine the future of voting centers across the country. We're a national show, even though we do it from here in California. A lot of places are moving to these vote center models, and I believe they should be warned in advance that this kind of problem happens. Uh, Ian, you have and the Long Beach Reform Coalition has filed suit against the county. Uh, I believe you'll have your your hearing uh, or trial next month. What are you suing for? What are you asking for specifically? And what do you hope to see happen in that court case? So what the basis of our lawsuit is very simple, direct. Uh, We're not asking for a a free recount. Mm -hmm. You're not entitled to a free recount under California law unless the registrar does it on its own. If you're requesting as the public, you have to pay for it. We have raised funds. We're willing to pay for it. But we just want the costs that were published in the county manual, which were based on the old procedure, whereby you pay for the actual recounting of ballots. You don't have to pay for this enormous project of sorting out all the ballots that you, Dean Logan, mixed up. Yeah. Before you even start paying for the actual recounting of ballots, we just want to pay 
for the recount itself. And I fear, uh, Ian, that, you know, you might win this case because the judge says, well, this is what was advertised before the election. Therefore, you have to honor it from here on out. However, you know, let the voters be warned. It's going to fall on them to have to pay to sort ballots. I mean, it appears that we have a system here that is designed and it's and like I say, I've been reporting on this for years all over the state. It seems like it's sort of designed to allow these county clerks to charge whatever they want arbitrarily uh, and, you know, make it impossible unless you are really, really rich to be able to oversee elections. Uh, Do you get that sense from the way this system is working? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, this has really been eye-opening to me. I mean, it's it's sort of like uh, waking up after a long slumber to a nightmare for me because I was just very tangentially uh, really just an observer to the initial reforms of election systems after the Florida 2000 debacle mm-hmm. because I, I worked for a member of Congress who was the uh, ranking member and, and later chair before she passed away of the House Oversight Committee that has jurisdiction over all this and the, the development of the Election Assistance Commission and HAVA and the, everybody talked about the potential for technology back then but you have to have a paper trail. You have to have a, that's the bedrock. The paper trail and I know people have a lot of issues about various systems, but I still believe that that is the bedrock. But the thing is, a paper trail is useless if you can't actually count it. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And I've been trying to point that out four years in the wake of HAVA. Uh, and I've been trying to point out, by the way, that a paper trail is also uh, of no use. Even if you can count it, a paper trail is of little use if you don't know that the paper ballot actually reflects the voter intent, which sadly is the case in Los Angeles County now that we have computer-printed ballots as opposed to hand-marked paper ballots. Uh, Ian, I, I got to get out here, but I, I think it's I thank you for what you're doing here. Uh, I, I hope you get this count. I think it's a really important case that you're making, not just, as I said, for California, uh, but for the but for the country. It's absolutely maddening. And uh, thank you for standing up. Uh, and by the way, I don't even know if your coalition leans right or left. Quite frankly, I know Long Beach is a pretty liberal town. Uh, but opposing tax referendums is often, you know, more right-leaning folks. I don't care. This is about election integrity. And uh, I, I thank you for standing up for it in this case. We're a completely uh, uh, nonpartisan, good government organization, and uh, I really appreciate you helping us raise awareness of this. Good luck on your trial in August, Ian Patton. Please stay in touch. Uh, the uh, You can get more information on this case at lbreformcoalition.org. Or you can find them on the Facebooks at LB Reform Coalition. Ian Patton is the co-founder and executive director of the Long Beach Reform Coalition. Thanks a bunch, Ian. Thank you. All right, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with our closing few minutes. Oh, and a teaser about tomorrow's Bradcast, which should be an interesting one. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like. 
or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We've got just a, a, a minute or so here. Uh, But I wanted to point out the Republican former secretary of state of Arizona, Ken Bennett, who has been overseeing this so-called audit, post-election forensic audit in uh, Maricopa County, the state that uh, allowed this clown show by these so-called cyber ninjas to happen. He has apparently now been barred. From the count itself. Rut row. Yeah, because he shared some numbers with uh, some actual experts in post-election audits that seem to show the cyber ninjas don't know what they're doing and that the election results were correct. Anyway, more on all of this on tomorrow's broadcast when I hope we're joined with John Bamboo Guy Breaky to explain <laughs> all of this. It our will friend. be an adventure. It will be. Don't you don't want to miss it. My thanks to Ian Patton of the Long Beach Reform Coalition, to our producer Desi Doyen, my board operator Federico Garcia, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Download our shows anytime for free at Bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Bradblog. We'll see you there until we see you here tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.